Today we're going to pick back up on the Word of Wisdom series. Later in this series, I plan on having a fitness expert on to talk about exercise and overall physical health. Now, if you recall a few weeks ago, we talked about what the Word of Wisdom really says about the consumption of meat with Joshua Erickson. Well, today Joshua comes back on the podcast as we talk about wine. We talk about its prescription in the Word of Wisdom. From there, we take an even deeper dive into what constitutes a sacrament. Then our conversation turns to the Old and New Testament, as well as the Book of Mormon, to see what Scripture has to say about wine and its symbology in the restored gospel. That and more on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Look, it's no secret that our society has become much more crude and coarse. To become and raise men and women of virtue and character is a Herculean task. To help with this, I have recently wrote and published a book. Now, back in the 1700s, Washington had a book called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. It was a book with 110 rules that talked about how to conduct yourself like a civilized person in society, something that today's society is sorely lacking. What I did is I went back through the book and I reinterpreted his original sayings for the 21st century. So the book is laid out in a way in which you see Washington's original rule. Right below that is my explanation for the 21st century. And below that, you'll find two or three examples of where to use this in the real world. Now, to go along with this, there's a workbook that helps parents teach these principles and practices to their kids. To find the book, go to mormonrenegade.com, go to the bottom of the page, search out the blog post, and order your copy today. I can bear personal testimony from personal experience that this is an invaluable tool to help you raise men and women of virtue and character. Okay, just a couple of quick announcements here. If you're looking for a place to attend sacrament meeting and don't know where to go, I want you to reach out to me. Me and others stand ready to help you find a spiritual home, whether that's a new church, a gathering spot of independence, or even if you just need a soft place to land for a time to learn how to have sacrament meeting in your own home. Myself and others stand ready to help you find that place. All you gotta do is just drop me a line at mormonrenegade at gmail.com and we'll quickly reach out to you to help you find the place you want and need to be. Next, I have felt for a while now that the sisters haven't had a good place to go to have their questions answered without a bunch of dudes creeping around. To fill this need, my wife Tanya has set up a Facebook group just for women to talk about questions about fundamentalism. The name of that group is Mormon Fundamentalism for Women. Now, just a warning. If you're a dude thinking about trying to jump on this site, I'm going to give this to you in my best Liam Neeson impression. I have a certain set of skills, and I'll find you, and I will publicly mock you endlessly, without mercy, for many, many weeks. So whether you're a fundamentalist woman seeking sisterhood or a woman investigating fundamentalism, this place is for you. Again, the name of that Facebook group is Mormon Fundamentalism for Women. Joshua, dude, it's good to be have you back again. Yeah, it's always good to be here. So when we when we did the uh, the episode about the word of wisdom and meat, um, one epic, 
right? I yeah. just I went I went out right afterwards and threw steak on the grill in celebration. In celebration, right? Um, you'd mentioned wine, and I was intrigued because because wine is all over the scriptures, and not in yeah. a prohibitive way, right? Right? It's it's very much a it's there in, in use of symbolism, you know, just off the top of my head, the, the blood of the Savior, right? Okay. The flesh and blood. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And it, it, it's, you know, even a symbol of, of the gospel itself when it talks about new wine and old bottles. Yeah. And yeah. so it's all over the place. So as we dive into this, I'm super excited to see where this goes. It's like meat in the scriptures. Like, right. It's all over. And, and, uh, and there's gospel symbolism in the meat. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so and the word of wisdom has something to say about it too, right? Yeah, <clears throat> and the word of wisdom, uh, kind of like this. I guess is like our word of wisdom uh, series part two. Yeah. yeah, word of wisdom series part two. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, the the symbolism uh, about wine is is good uh, for the most part. Well, there's exceptions. We can talk about that. Um, but the word of wisdom doesn't really say uh, what a lot of people think it says. Just kind of, kind of like the meat too. So a lot of a lot of those uh, those prohibitions um, in the word of wisdom, or what we think of as prohibitions, are not actually prohibitions. Right. But rather, it's uh, wisdom about how to use these things in an appropriate manner. Right. The other thing about the word of wisdom that I find very interesting is that so often we think. We focus on what we deem the prohibitives, right? Don't do not do this, this, or this. Right. And we really don't focus on what it tells you to do. The prescriptions. Right. right? Yeah. Do yeah. this. Yeah, do this. And so I find that very interesting as well mm-hmm. when it comes to this. Yeah, interesting. So uh, so w- with uh, with alcohol in general, I think the, the usual uh, Latter-day Saint interpretation of the Word of Wisdom is that alcohol of all varieties is prohibited uh, for all time and all purposes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not that's pretty far from what it actually says. Right. So I'll just read the uh, the first part here, section eighty nine. Um, let's see. Of course, there's there's an introduction, um, and um, and it talks about evils and designs and the last days and and so on, and uh, and then in verse five is where really the the instructions start. And it starts off with wine. It says, Inasmuch as any man drinketh wine or strong drink, among you, behold, it is not good, neither meat in the sight of your father, only in assembling yourselves together to offer up your sacraments before him. And behold, this should be wine, yea, pure wine of the grape of the vine of your own make. And again, strong drinks are not for the belly, but for the washing of your bodies. So, so those opening verses have to do with alcohol right so a couple of things uh um first first kind of misconception i guess is is um when we when uh, uh the average latter-day saint reads this and reads um strong drink um what do you think the like what's the the interpretation of strong I, drink I, wine I, and strong drink i would think liquor okay Liquor. Uh, that's good. I agree with that. Actually, I think uh, I think for many people uh, they would interpret that as alcohol in general, and maybe people don't know that there's a difference between. Mm-hmm. There's there are different kinds of alcoholic beverages, right? And uh, liquor uh, is 
what's what it's referring to when it says strong drinks. So, um, okay. So what is the difference? So uh, you know, so how are how are how is wine and other uh, alcoholic beverages made? Well, you have uh, something that has sugars in it, mm-hmm. like fruits, like apples or grapes or uh, or honey or whatever, um, malt, barley malt or whatever, and then um, and then you uh, you you have yeast that's added to it either. Uh, nowadays, uh, oftentimes the yeast is like kind of cultured separately from the fruit or uh, whatever, and then those things are mixed together. And um, and then the yeast uh, at, the yeast eats up the sugar and produces ethanol, um, and that's where uh, the alcohol comes from. So that first step where you add the yeast and the yeast does its thing, it produces. Um, the alcohol, but it also produces a bunch of other things too. It gets rid of the sugar for one, or reduces the sugar, and also there's a bunch of vitamins and uh, you know enzymes, antioxidants, and all these right. other good things that come from all kinds of fermented foods. Um, okay, so so that first step is is called fermentation, and that's where uh, wine and cider and uh, mead and beer and ale, those are all things that the Word of Wisdom calls mild drinks right these are things that are fermented okay now the strong drink wait they weren't drinking wheatgrass smoothies in joseph smith's (laughs) time that's not the kind of grain-based drinks they were talking about oh no no i don't think so i think it's pretty clear that uh, the mild drink so this goes over to verse 17 okay and we can talk that's not a good time to mention that i guess but yeah so let's actually read 17 uh nevertheless wheat for man and corn for the ox, and oats for the horse, and rye for the fowls, and for swine, and for all beasts of the field, and barley for all use for animals, and for mild drinks, as also other grain. So barley and other grain are useful for making mild drinks, it says, and those are uh, those are recommended um, for our consumption. Yeah, and that's absolutely just good old-fashioned beer. Right. Yep. Um, in its many varieties. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, sometimes there's a lot of people feel like they have to uh, uh, make excuses or explanations for uh, Joseph Smith and the early brethren drinking beer. You know, it's in Joseph Smith's journals and stuff like that. You know, um, but there's really uh, there's really no contradiction with the word of wisdom. In fact, it's totally in line. Right. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think what were the two things that Joseph sent for as he was in Carthage? I know wine. Wine, and he asked for a couple of pipes. Okay, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, you you look at that, and you're like, how am I supposed to square this, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's it's almost like we pretend it doesn't exist. Right. Um, That's not part of the, the normal narrative. No, no, or, it's not. Or not always, so. anyway. Yeah. Um, interesting. So, um, okay, so what is the difference between a fermented beverage, which is a mild drink and a strong drink. It is a separate process. That process is distillation. Okay. So mild drinks are fermented, strong drinks are fermented and then distilled. And and um, so distilled liquor uh, are things like whiskey, vodka, um, and uh, uh, rum and um, brandy and so on. And uh, when you when you distill fermented things. Uh, you really actually remove all the you actually remove all the nutrition. Okay, one hundred percent. There's no vitamins. There's no minerals. There's no antioxidants. There's no enzymes or whatever other 
gotcha. you know, healthy yeah. things. The only thing that comes out of the distillation is alcohol. And uh, there'll be water as well that comes over. And you know, some like aroma and flavor right. molecules. And some of those could be, you know, you could argue that those some of those things are have health benefits, but not really. I mean, the purpose of distilling things is to make them strong. Right. Um, and the usual use of those things is to get drunk. Like right. that is that is the purpose of distilled or strong um, strong drinks. Now, I will say though that even the word of wisdom doesn't actually forbid strong drinks. It actually, well, what it does is uh, gives their proper use. Right. And it says strong drinks are for the washing of your bodies. Right. And uh, whether whether we realize that or not, uh, we do that. Um, you know, we use alcohol for hand sanitizer. Right. And mouthwash, right? And those, those are just two examples of a... Uh, a physical aspect of washing your bodies. Now, I do think there's a spiritual aspect to that as well, uh, which we'll get to later, but a sacramental uh, aspect. Gotcha. Anyway. Okay, so that's important to uh, to realize here that uh, um, when, uh, when it says alcohol, uh, when it says strong drinks, it is not uh, giving us a... Um, it's, it's not telling us to avoid... Alcohol, it's just telling us to avoid whiskey and brandy and right. things like that. Okay, so th- that's important, I- and it's important too to realize that when you read the scriptures, uh, drinking alcohol is actually never forbidden. But I'll tell you what is forbidden and what is frowned upon: drunkenness. Yeah, right. So it's the it's really the uh, the excess. Um, and this is this is true of so so many many uh, things, you know. Um, so many things in this world are just kind of neutral and have uh, good and evil uses, right? And the internet—that's a perfect example, right? I Podcasts, mean, right, for example, right, 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 <laughs> right. You can use the internet to be uplifted, or you can use it to find porn. It's up to you. That's exactly right. So, and you know, there's this. This argument rages about uh, all kinds of things. Guns uh, is another one that's commonly debated, right? But these are, you know, the internet and guns and alcohol. These are all just inanimate objects. And uh, you know, there's a there's an agent behind those things who's making choices uh, one way or another. So even things that we even things that we might normally think of as good can certainly be abused, you know. Right. Are, ch- are churches good? Sure. But they can also be bad, right? Oh, I mean... Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so without that's... Without naming names. Right. Without naming names, right? Um, all their creeds were an abomination. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay so... Um, okay. So, um, another another misunderstanding. Okay. And this is in those verses there. Actually, let's see. Uh, verse five. Okay, it says uh, says wine is uh, is wine and strong drinks are not generally good, but uh, when you assemble yourselves together to offer up your sacraments, sacraments. That's right. And it's not Plural. sacrament. It's yep. sacraments. So what in the world is a sacraments? Well, I, or what are sacraments to be more grammatically correct? Yeah, I think I think in looking at it, you can look at weddings. 
wedding feasts. Oh, that's right. You can look at baptisms. You can look, and and I, I guess I should say, and whether I'm right or wrong here, um, I'm willing to be wrong if someone can show me this, but I don't see where the extension of the actual ordinance wouldn't be part of the sacraments, right? So you have a wedding, and then you have a wedding feast. That is part of the sacrament. That's exactly right. A baptism. I don't see why a celebration would not attend part yeah, of that. Absolutely. Right? Right. Um, and then, and then I, I've even come to this as I've thought about this. You have sacraments that are institutional, if you will. Okay. Okay. Marriages, baptisms, those sorts of things. But I think you could even make a case that is your wedding anniversary a sacrament? Yeah. I, you know, we know that the Lord is big on remembering, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, going back to the beginning, we see that in the feast days. Yeah. Amen. And so it, those are nothing more than anniversary celebrations. So if, if that's a sacrament, then why is not your union to your wife a sacrament? Maybe birthdays. I, I the, the, it just goes on and on, right? Right. And so it, it's one of those things that, it, as I look at, I think we're really too almost pharisaical in some ways about what is and what isn't. And the mm-hmm. issue because what, what makes it pharisaical is that it gets really hard to say, you know, where it is in Scripture that it shouldn't be done. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, it, it, in my opinion, it becomes more the traditions of men than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. You know, I think um, uh, one of the amazing things about the word of wisdom is it says, uh, right, it, it, when you're talking about wine, it says it should be of your own make, uh, which kind of like just puts the, it's of your own make and it is for sacramental purposes. And, um, uh, I think there really is. Uh, I like what you said there about um, uh, there. There are institutional sacraments, but there can also be familial sacraments, right? And uh, and each you know each head of the household is going to kind of determine that. And I think that is their prerogative, actually. And so I like that. And I think that goes right along with uh, making your own. And I think this is a this is a, this is a message of. The word of wisdom, at least this part, is um, is this um, personal responsibility. I know a lot of times people look at the of your own make and they think it's uh, it's to avoid poison. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get more to that later, but I, I don't think it has as much to do with avoiding poison as it does have to do with taking spiritual responsibility for mm. your own religion and your own worship. Oh, that's fascinating. I so, can't wait to get into that. Okay. So let me go, uh, let's go, just keep you on this uh, theme of sacraments here. I have I have here in front of me uh, Webster's 1828 definition of the word sacrament. So uh, definition one, among ancient Christian writers, a mystery. So sacrament is a mystery. Two, an oath, a ceremony producing an obligation. Um, okay. Three, in present usage, uh, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, or more particularly, a solemn religious ceremony enjoined by Christ, the head of the Christian church, 
to be observed by his followers, by which their special relation to him is created or their obligations to him renewed and ratified. Thus, baptism is called a sacrament, for by it persons are separated from the world, brought into Christ's visible church, and laid under particular obligations to obey his precepts. The Eucharist, or communion, of the Lord's Supper is also a sacrament, for by commemorating the death uh, and dying love of Christ, Christians avow their special relation to him and renew their obligations to be faithful to their divine master. So there we go. Uh, you know, The first one is a mystery. Second one is an oath or ceremony producing an obligation. And number three is, uh, I'm going to kind of, um, shorten it down here, but it is a, let's see, where is it? A, re a solemn religious ceremony, um, uh, which, uh, you know, creates a, a special relation to uh, Christ. So in, uh, you know, our, our language has, has changed in, mm -hmm. in Mormonism, uh, what Webster's 1828, which was the usage, uh, in the doctrine and covenants of the word sacrament, uh, kind of reflected this. Now our our language has changed, and now for these things we use the word ordinance. Right. We say baptism is an ordinance, and um, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is an ordinance, and priesthood ordination is an ordinance, and marriage is an ordinance, and so on. And so we've kind of lost connection to what the scriptures is actually right. saying because our vocabulary has changed. But... um. Yeah, not until the fourth definition uh, in uh, Webster's, as it say, the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, which right. is what we would, in LDS terms, we would call the, the sacrament. sacrament. Yep. But in a broader Christian context, uh, the more proper term for that is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Okay. And so like in, uh, in Catholicism, they still refer to what the LDS folks would say, ordinances. The Catholic Church and the RLDS Church calls these things sacraments. So, so that's exactly right. So there's all kinds of things, and uh, you mentioned a bunch of them. Um, you know the uh, the very first miracle that Jesus does turns water you know, into wine. Water into wine. Yeah, same same miracle as Moses, like the very first one, right? Water into blood, um, and. Uh, uh, and and what was the occasion? It was a wedding. It was a wedding feast. It was yep. A wedding. Yep, yep. And uh, you know the uh, the bride and groom are hotly disputed, um, as in that uh, uh, in that count in John. But uh, regardless, um, uh, uh, that was uh, that was a sacrament, and that was a perfectly uh, that use of wine that the Savior did was actually perfectly in line with the word of wisdom, which is as we expect. Okay. <clears throat> but, uh, it, it is strange. I would say that our modern definitions and understanding of the word of wisdom has crept to the point where we would, we would now consider the savior's actions questionable, wouldn't we? Oh, we, we 100% would. I mean, without a doubt. And that's that's been my contention on this for, for a while. Um, and, and I'm going to zoom out here for a little bit to maybe a 1,500-foot view, if you will. Um, through our practice, we have changed what the word of wisdom is. Yeah. If, if, if you look at the very opening statement, the Lord goes out of his way to say that this isn't a commandment. Right. 
Let's let's get that straight right now. He he opens it by making right. that distinction. Now, I'm not saying that you discount any of the Lord's words whatsoever, but there's a reason he put that in there as well. Hmm. He also says who it's designed for, right? Yeah. Which is probably someone like me who's got an addictive personality, <laughs> right? Um, I, I don't think it is a, a commandment, and I don't think it's a rule that can be applied universally. Um, and we know it wasn't universally asked on recommend questions till till grant and prohibition. Yeah. Well, and you know what, uh, too? Uh, ev- even that, it's... Uh, I believe that the questions uh, as far as adherence goes uh, don't actually reflect what the what the verses say. So it's we're we're asking people to um, keep a standard, keep the word of wisdom in quotes, uh, which is not even the, which is not the word of wisdom, right? right? It's not what the word of wisdom says. No, um, it does say not to use tobacco. Right. Um, it does say hot drinks. I have my opinion about that. Um, I think it is just referring to the temperature. I'll just say it. Um, and, uh, and prohibition on alcohol is actually not a thing in the word of wisdom. Well, and, and even tobacco, it gives a few. Oh yeah. It says it's just for, uh, an herb to be used for bruises, sick cattle. And, uh, you know, it's great for, it's great for sick people too. It's a super good, uh, Anti-parasite. Do you remember back in 2014 when we had, when there was that massive Ebola outbreak going on in South Africa? Right. And we had a couple of doctors come home that were really sick. Did you ever hear about the therapeutic with that? No. Oh, this is fascinating. Let's hear it. So you can still find this article both on Fox News and CNN. Okay. They had all the compounds there. They were trying to make a therapeutic, right? Because Ebola's got like... A ninety-eight percent death rate, it's right? A it's, death sentence, basically. You're not coming out of it. Well, this one pharmaceutical company had said we got all the compounds, we just can't get them to adhere to to stick together to long enough to to do what it needs to do. Hmm. So they looked high and low for a chemical that would help it make it adhere. Well, they found a couple, but they were also toxic. Sure. And so they were actually debating on on what they should do here. And someone says, I think that compound's found in a tobacco leaf. Okay. Whoa. So they took all the other compounds and they injected it into a live tobacco plant. Okay. And within 48 hours, they were able to extract the therapeutic and all those doctors lived. No way. I kid you not. Okay, I have to look that up. Look, I'll I'll give you the article before I leave. But yeah, it's it, that was the therapeutic at which they were able to administer. Wow. And and they they nursed them through it. They were still really really sick, right? I don't want you to think they were yeah. taking a shot out of this, but by injecting it into the tobacco leaf huh. and then extracting it, it was able to That's beautiful. to save a few lives. Huh. So I love that. I think so much of the gospel actually is uh, is not. Not strictly, uh, or not in not in all in all. It, I'm stumbling over my words here. <laughs> we uh, we like to sometimes think of the gospel as uh, a list of do's and don'ts. Um, I think very often um, 
it's it's more like a, a list of what is the proper use of things. Not that one thing is forbidden always or another thing is acceptable always, but learning uh, in what context a thing is acceptable and in what context it is not. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's kind of a mature skill, I think, to be able to pull that out of the scriptures for things, you know. Absolutely. So anyway, um, so Jesus's first miracle was uh, turning water to wine. And uh, sometimes I like to joke that um, Heber Grant did him one better and turned it back. (laughs) (laughs) That was uh, so in in 1921. This is a good year for the word wisdom, I guess. In 1921, that's when um, abstinence from wine. That's that's when that's when sa- that's when sacrament was officially water. Right. Yep. Um, and that's when uh, when uh, abstinence from wine, even for sacramental purposes, became compulsory. I wonder what was going on in society at that time, Josh. You're like I, in the 1920s. Yeah. I'm I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I I don't know. Yeah. Do a, do a Google search. Um, okay. We all know, uh, I think uh, uh, fundamentalists especially love Isaiah 24. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it says, The earth also is defiled under, uh, defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Okay. And then... Um, you know, this starts at verse five and it goes on through. But if you keep reading like for through verse 11, and I'll just pull out a couple pieces there. Uh, Isaiah is talking about the changing, transgressing of the law, changing the ordinance and breaking the covenant. And he says also in this stream of thought here that the new wine mourneth, the vine languisheth. All the merry hearted do sigh. They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink shall be bitter to them that drink it. There is a crying for wine in the streets. All joy is darkness. The mirth of the land is gone. Wow. So these these things that he says here where uh, basically the use of wine is has been put aside. Right. This is a sign uh, or at least a, uh, a symptom or a, uh, <clears throat> a repercussion of the ordinance being changed. Okay. Wow. And the law being transgressed and so on. And so, I mean, you, as fundamentalists, we usually just think, well, this is talking about polygamy or something. Right, um, right. And and now... But it's just... But the, the next lines that Isaiah does just connect it with wine. Right. And, and look, could it be symbolic? Sure, but it could also be literal. Um, especially given our history now, right? I, I think we have to look at it maybe with a little more uh, of a textualist mindset. Yeah. Right? Where right. we say he, he could be talking about something very real. That's right. So, okay. So back to uh, sacraments and, and uh, weddings and so on. Um, there is evidence for this in our own history. So January 1836. Uh, I believe this was the first set of marriages performed in this dispensation. Joseph Smith performed marriage of John Webb to Catherine Wilcox and also Thomas Carrico to Elizabeth Baker. This is in History of the Church, Volume 2, uh, page 369. So they had this double wedding 
And then afterwards, um, it was reported that the wedding party then, quote, partook of some refreshments and our hearts were made glad with the fruit of the vine. Hmm. This, Joseph Smith says, this is in accordance with the pattern set by our Savior himself. And we feel disposed to patronize all the institutions of heaven. Now, so. now, see, that's a little different, right? Before, before the Isaiah verses and that quote by Joseph Smith, I think we could say, well, it's kind of, you know, here. There's just like freedom into it or something. Right, so. yeah. Now, now it seems to be like, no, no, the use of wine in this was kind of directed. Right, I would say so, and and so if the way Joseph made that sound is is if we want to keep all the ordinances in heaven, this is kind of part of them. Am I misunderstanding that? That is exactly right. So now, in in the Word of Wisdom, um, in the Word of Wisdom, it is it is not given by commandment or constraint, uh, but we can see that the Lord says it's pleasing to Him. Actually, you know, in verse five it says. Um, uh, let's see. So he, in uh, verse five, he says, it's not good to, you know, be partaking of wine or strong drink, except when you, uh, assemble yourselves together to offer up your sacraments, then it is good, right? right. Then it is pleasing. And this, it's not, it's, but still the language is not commandment. It's just pleasing the Lord. And so, I mean, I mean that, that alone is enough maybe right. that we want to please the Lord. Um, and then we also, we want the blessing too. So, you know, the word of wisdom has blessings attached to it, right? It says those who do these things and keep the, and keep the commandments um, will have all those things that the word of wisdom uh, mentions at the end there. So, I mean, that's two good reasons right there. Uh, but I am going to contend that um, at least this part of it, wine for the sacraments, um, is a commanded thing. Now, certainly if we look at the Old Testament sacraments or ordinances, um, wine was explicitly uh, commanded for many of those things. The offerings that were made, they would offer uh, an animal. And along with the animal, there was always bread and wine as right. part of it or uh, or flour, you know, some right. kind of grain and wine uh, offered as well. And those were certainly commanded things. And I think, uh, and I think I'm going to make an argument here that uh, the other sacraments... Um, have that as a, you know, a commanded uh, component as well. So let, let me ask some questions here. Let me play the other side of this argument here. Okay. Why wouldn't the Lord just say, well, just have water with your celebrations? Water is more readily available, right? I think there can be an argument made of, you know, purity of water and those sorts of things. And you don't have the risk of intoxication. Yeah. Uh, why wine? Why wine? Uh <sighs> I think uh, wine is, um, I mean, wine in, uh, in mo and again, this is in moderation. So I, I don't want, again, I, I said it before already, but I'm just going to kind of reiterate that I am not, uh, you know, approving of or justifying drunkenness. Okay. So wine in moderation is, and always has been just this symbol of joy. Actually, I have a, Interesting verse here. Where was it? Uh, 
Well, um, Psalm, this is Psalm 104, 14 through 15, talking about the blessings uh, that God gives to us in abundance. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth and wine that maketh glad the heart of man and oil to make his face shine and bread with bread which strengtheneth his heart. So the wine is just um, connected to glad hearts and joy and has always, has always been a symbol of that. And not only for man, so Psalm 104 says for man, but I love this verse from Judges. Uh, Judges 9.13 says, um, this is actually from the uh, the parable of the uh, parable of the trees. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the uh, the grapevine is, you know, they want to make him king over the trees. And he right. says, no, uh, I shouldn't be king of the trees, but uh, stick to making wine, which he says, which cheereth both God and man. So, which is quite a thing to say, um, if your God has no body parts or passions, right? Right. But, uh, so wine cheers both God and man. So, this is where I'm going to irritate some people, but I'm used to it by now. So let's, (laughs) let's, let's run with this. So as a guy who was a pretty accomplished drinker in his day, there is difference in the spirits that you partake of. Okay. There just are. Um, there's a reason whiskey fueled the West and all mm. the murderous rampages that mm. happened there. There is something about wine in the right context where I wouldn't even call it a buzz, but it does loosen things up a little bit. Mm. Um, it does allow for maybe a, greater feeling of love and mm-hmm. com- camaraderie. It helps the walls come down a little bit. Yeah. And when the Lord says, make, make it the heart glad, I think that's what he's referring to. Oh yeah. Right. It, it does, you know, even, even just one glass or as, as you drink wine more and more, you become more um, accustomed to it. A couple glasses and all of a sudden, you know, you got people hugging it out, right? <laughs> yeah. Not in a drunken stupor, right? Right. I, I don't want to present that. And I know this is foreign for a lot of people, especially my LDS listenership. I get that. But if you're ever at a wet, wedding feast, just watch. Just watch. After about the second glass, the smart ones back off, but everyone's a little more loving and, and the hearts are a little fuller. Yeah. And I think that's why the Lord prescribes this right yeah not just says it's okay but says use this yeah use this uh, it does produce a kind of an altered state of consciousness but i'm not sure that's always a bad thing oh yeah and so i think this is one of those times where the lord is like let some of those walls come down let the hearts speak to each other and and rejoice in that yeah you know um growing up uh latter-day saint um the the line that I was always kind of taught or either whether implicitly or uh, explicitly um, was, you know, if you, if someday you stray and you end up taking a sip of wine, like you're going to go, you're going to become an alcoholic, you know, and there goes your, your life's just going to get flushed down the toilet. And, um, and so 
uh, so this this will be strange to some of your listeners to to hear this, but um, but uh, that did not happen. Okay, and my my um, uh, you know dipping my toe into the waters, so to speak, of uh, of making my own wine for sacramental purposes uh, was done with much trepidation, like very cautious about it. Um, but, uh, you know, nothing of the, nothing of the sort has happened. And, and I actually think that that, um, that kind of teaching is actually quite dangerous. It's hugely dangerous because what, what you've done now is that rather than give an example of what moderation looks like and temperance and those sorts of things, true temperance, um, all you've done is created forbidden fruit for your youth. Yeah. And that's that's a dangerous component as well. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's I mentioned guns earlier. It's like it's like making the guns in, right. forbidden in the house and never teaching the children how to use it, and then you know, you're just asking for a disaster. Yep. But the the safest way to have guns is to teach them how to use it responsibly. And Absolutely. To be to be uh, to be safe with it and let them know that they they can, and you know, use the gun. You just Ask the parents, you know, under the parents' supervision or whatever. Um, so, anyway, I think that's, uh, uh, yeah, that's just a, a lesson that can be applied in so many ways. So, okay. Um, before before I move on, I actually just want to go back a little bit and just um, talk about sacraments because it, in the Word of Wisdom, it says wine or strong drink is not good except for in your sacraments. So, you know, wine is kind of obvious, I think, because, you know, we, we have the wedding feast at Cana. We have uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We have those things in the Old Testament, you know, and Passover. Some people are familiar with that. Like wine is a part of those ceremonies. Uh, but what about the strong drinks? Um, interesting. There is there is a temple ordinance that um, the mainstream church, at least, has lost. And I think most fundamentalists have lost this as well. I don't know if I can speak for all of them, but there was, there was in former times an ordinance in between washing and anointing, called the ordinance of purification. And we have uh, we have a couple of accounts of that. So I'll just read one here. This is from Oliver Cowdery's sketchbook, January sixteenth, eighteen thirty six. Says, uh, and after pure water was prepared. We called upon the Lord and proceeded to wash each other's bodies and bathe the same with whiskey perfumed with cinnamon. This we did that we might be clean before the Lord for the Sabbath, confessing our sins. And uh, he goes on. Um, Wilfred Woodruff's journal has uh, uh, an, an, uh, an account of this ordinance as well. Um, but this, I think, is actually... Uh, you know, the deeper meaning of what verse five in the word of wisdom is talking about with uh, strong drinks for sacramental purposes. And it says for the washing of your bodies. Mm. And this is actually, this is actually temple stuff um, there. That's, it's kind of a, a part of the washing. Um, anyway. So I just wanted to put that out there. I, I've heard of the, the proverbial cinnamon whiskey bath. Yeah. And um, people have to understand this also filled a very practical part, right? 
because this is given in a time where people weren't bathing real regularly. And if it was quite winter, likely. if it was winter, you weren't right. bathing until late spring, right? right? Right. And so you wouldn't want to defile the Lord's house that way. Right. Yeah. And however, I think it deserves a second look because it was in there, That's right? right? That's right. And and it it deserves it deserves scholarly attention for sure. Okay. All right. Now, um, so you said what? I think earlier you said something like, "Why doesn't the Lord just come out and say, use wine for these things?" Did you, Did you ask a question kind of like that? No, or, I said, "Why not use water?" Oh, right. Oh, use water. That's what you said. Okay. Okay. So actually, I asked. Um, so I uh, when I when I started. You know, actually reading what the scriptures say and decided to start making wine. I still kind of kept it on the down low. Um, and, uh, but I, I kind of pulled, uh, this is an informal poll of people. And, uh, and I asked this question. I think it's telling. I said, if, uh, if the first presidency came to you, okay, so I'm taking the authority out of it, okay, they came to you. And, and asked you, and they said, you know, we're thinking of going back to wine for the sacrament. And, and you know, you get to make the decision. What, what do you think? Um, and um, the responses I got were uh, are quite telling. So uh, some, some people are like, uh, like, so I asked my siblings. And some of my siblings are like, well, yeah, I guess, you know, if it's up to me, uh, I guess so. You know, I, I, that might be okay. And um, and some of my siblings are like, yeah, that's what the scriptures say. And uh, some of my siblings are like, uh, says, no way. Like, I would have to, like, Jesus would have to tell me that that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have, there would have to be a revelation from Jesus. And, and uh, my Didn't thought was. he already give you one? Oh, all, all, yeah, a dozen times there's a revelation from Jesus saying wine. The interesting thing is that. Um, in the scriptures, every single time um, the Lord's Supper, at least, is mentioned, it is always bread and wine that are not just recommended. That is that is what's commanded, always. And every time uh, where the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is partaken, it's always recorded that that is what was used. Right. And water is never recommended. Nope. Um Never recommended. So, so where do we get, uh, you know, where do we get that? Um, of course, it comes from section 27. Um, uh, we'll get, you know, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but just as an example of a commandment, okay? So this is in uh, in 3 Nephi 18. Uh, Jesus is there discoursing with the Nephites. And uh, giving them instructions for various things. And he gives them instructions on the Lord's Supper as well. This is in, uh, I said, uh, 3 Nephi 18, starting at verse 8. Uh, and it came to pass that when he said these words, he commanded his disciples that they should take of the wine of the cup and drink of it. And that they should also give it unto the multitude that they might drink of it. And it came to pass that they did so. And did drink of it, and were filled, and they gave unto the multitude, and they did drink, and they were filled. And when the disciples had done this, Jesus said unto them, 
Blessed are ye for this thing which ye have done, for this is fulfilling my commandments. And skipping to verse 11. And this shall ye always do to those who repent and are baptized in my name. Verse 12. And I give unto you a commandment that ye shall do these things. And if ye shall always do these things, blessed are ye. Uh, 13. But whoso among you shall do more or less than these are not built upon my rock, but are built upon a sandy foundation. Verse 14. Therefore, blessed are ye if ye shall keep my commandments. So doing any more or less than what Jesus said? Not good. Put you on a sandy foundation. Yep. And, and I think it is um, uh, the, the irony is so incredibly thick. That when we partake of the sacrament, and I mean, and I mean this for most Mormons. So, the entire LDS Church, and I've been to—I'm going to call out some people here. Okay, I've been to the AUB, their sacrament meetings. I've been to Peterson Group. Uh, I've been to—I know the uh, the Kingstons. Uh, I know most of the big groups. They just use water, mm-hmm. and um, and yet we have this. Not as a recommendation, a word of wisdom, but a direct command to do this and to always do this. And then the irony is so thick because we take this, we take this water and we say, and like while we're saying, and always remember him and keep his commandments, which he has given them, right? So we're like promising to keep his commandments while we're not. Right. That's a good point. That's a very good point. While we are changing the ordinance, it's... It's amazing, but we don't think about it, you know, in those terms. Because right now, isn't there some place in the scripture that said that you could use different, okay, emblems or not okay. emblems, but different uh, uh, materials? Yes, so to speak. So that's section twenty-seven. Okay. Okay. So here's the story, right? Joseph, uh, Joseph is going to a meeting. He's going to get wine for the meeting. He's met by a heavenly messenger. Okay. And the angel says, this is uh, section 27, starting at verse 2. For behold, I say unto you, that it mattereth not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink when ye partake of the sacrament. If it so be that ye do it with an eye single to my glory, remembering unto the Father my body which was laid down for you, and my blood which was shed for the remission of your sins, wherefore a commandment I give unto you that you shall not purchase wine, neither strong drink of your enemies. Wherefore, you shall partake of none, except it is made new among you. Yea, in this my Father's kingdom, which shall be built up on the earth. So, um, uh, so there it is. We're all kind of familiar with that. Um, but uh, do you know what happened after? Uh-uh. So, uh, I've... Re- I've I've actually read this in more than one place. And your listeners, if you've studied this, you've probably read this too. You've probably read that this uh, was the beginning of the use of water. <clears throat> I've read that before. Or, you know, that, okay, you know, Joseph got this uh, revelation. And so instead of going to get wine, they just <clears throat> had their meeting with water or, uh, or something like that. Um, now, uh, you can read this revelation in context in uh, History of the Church. This is in Volume 1, History of the Church. So uh, this is this is what Joseph Smith says after um, he received this visitation. And I, I think it's amazing 
um, because this just shows what Joseph Smith thought that the angel was saying. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so Joseph did not go back to the meeting with water, nor did he purchase wine from like some trusted source, like as opposed to enemies. Joseph says, in obedience to the above commandment, we prepared some wine of our own making and held our meeting. So, <laughs> so rather than taking the words of the angel to mean, go ahead and have water or go ahead and have beer or go ahead and drink olive oil or whatever, uh, Joseph understood the revelation as make your own. You see, so that's quite a, quite a different uh, thing. Real, real quick, how are they making their own that quick, though? Oh, okay. Ah, good question. Okay, this, uh, let's see. I don't have it written down here. This revelation was given, um, I want to say, uh, I want to say it was um, uh, in about September. Okay. So... Uh, in other words, uh, the grapes were on the vine and ready to be picked. So they just pick some wine or some uh, <laughs> some grapes and press the juice out of it and had that uh, for the sacrament. Okay. Okay. Now that uh, so. Um, but that's grape juice. That's not wine, right? Ah, uh, that is new wine. Okay. And I'll t I'll uh, I'll explain uh, I'll explain more on that. Um, in a minute, uh, what I the the point that I want to um, uh, say here is that uh, well, okay, well I'll just say what new wine is first. Let's say let's say that since you asked. So new wine is uh, from the moment uh, from the moment the juice the grape juice is mixed with the yeast until uh, a year from that time. Okay. When the next harvest is ready. All right. That, uh, that space of a year, that wine is new wine. Oh, okay. So from the moment the grapes are crushed and mixed with the yeast, which is when the fermentation begins. Right. Until, uh, until the next harvest, the next annual harvest, uh, that's when the wine is new. And then after that, it becomes old wine. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, between those two, uh, broad categories, old and new wine. Which one? Which one can you buy? The old. Well, you yeah. can buy buy both. Well, no, no, just old wine. Yeah, new wine is not for sale. Right. Nobody likes new wine. Right. <laughs> I shouldn't say nobody. Um, uh, drunks like new wine, right? Because like the in uh, on the day of Pentecost, they're like making fun of the some of the the naysayers right. and making fun of the apostles, saying these guys are just drunk on new wine. It's the middle of the day. And right. They just, they just want alcohol so bad they'll even drink it new, you know. Right. So new new wine does not mean non-alcoholic. Okay. Uh, All right. Although it could be if it's very, very, like, right after it's crushed. Right. Okay. Okay, now here, here's another, uh, here's another. Can't get enough of the Mormon Renegade podcast? Well, good news. We're on Patreon, and there's three packages that you can choose from. The first one, the Slightly Rowdy Package, allows you to hear the podcast without all those pesky commercials getting in the way. For those who want a slightly more in-depth experience, there's the Stirring It Up Package, where you can hear ad-free audio 
ad-free video, and transcripts. Finally, for those who want to go full Renegade, that package is available too, where you can get everything in the previous two packages, plus an extra show where myself and Ben Winfield break down the news of the day from a very Mormon point of view. You will also get exclusive access to Renegade Chat, and on there you'll be able to talk to others about the show or whatever topics are on your mind. Go to Patreon today and get your exclusive content. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by DeseretFlag.com. I've said this before and I really mean it. Mormonism isn't just a religion, it's a culture. As such, it has its own vernacular and practices, but also its own symbols. And those symbols become even more important and prominent when you look back into our history. Perhaps one of the most recognizable symbols of Mormonism is the Deseret flag. This is the flag that I use as cover art in this podcast. This was also used for a good chunk of time during the Pioneer era in Utah. Now, today we have people who want to replace the existing Utah flag with some other progressive monstrosity. Well, I think it's damn past time that we start pushing back here a little bit in Utah. Our friends at Defending Utah are here to help you with that. Now, if you go to DeseretFlag.com, you can now purchase your own Deseret State flag. It's time here that we start making ourselves known and join the resistance against those who seek to rewrite our state's history. Go to DeseretFlag.com or check out the link in this episode's page show notes and get yours today. Um, well, let me go back to the old versus new. So, um, uh, new wine is, is not for sale. So when Joseph said he was going to purchase some wine, old wine was the kind he was getting. That's the kind that people drink. And so my interpretation of this, uh, which is in keeping with the rest of the commandments of Jesus like we just read in 3 Nephi and in the New Testament and in other places in the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and so on is that uh, when it says it mattereth not, what he's saying is um, it doesn't matter whether you have uh, old or new wine. You, okay. can dr- you can drink new wine. And so Joseph says, well, in obedience to the commandment, we made some of our own right there. So, okay. it, you know, that's what it, that's sort of, so, um, Okay. So let me ask you this, and maybe you're going to cover this down down okay. the road here. There's a ton of people who either don't have the knowledge or don't have the space to ferment their own wine. Yeah. In that case, what would be your understanding then of, of what they should use for the sacrament? Would they be okay buying old wine? You know, ah. buying old wine? Only if it was made new among you. So now you can use old wine. Okay. As long as it was made new, which means originally made uh, among your fellow saints. It doesn't even doesn't have to be made by you. It okay. has to be made among you. Okay. It says so in verse uh, or in the in the word of wisdom. It says, um, let's see. Let me just go there. Uh, in the in the, the words of wisdom, it says of your own make. Yes. And then in, in uh, section 27, it says, uh, it clarifies a little more, says made new among you. So it means that the wine was made by a fellow saint, fellow Israelite, maybe you could say. And then um, uh, if you don't have the equipment or the desire uh, or the space or whatever to make your own, then, you know, then there's some guy in your group or, you know, who's the designated winemaker. Mm-hmm. And that's totally good. Okay. And old wine is fine. It just needs to be. It can't. It doesn't say uh, that it can't be aged among you as well, just that it needs to be 
made among you. Okay. Okay. So it's interesting, though, in in uh, in section 27, um, Jesus actually says what he's going to do. And this is kind of further clarification because um, uh, scripture page turning sounds. That's all good. They know it's real. <laughs> um, right. So like in verse 2, it talks about, uh, you know, it mattereth not what you shall eat or drink, but it's kind of like those bracelets, you know, the WWJD, like what would right, Jesus do? Right, So Jesus says, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you drink, but just so you know, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Okay. And um, he says, marvel not, this is verse 5, marvel not for the hour cometh that I will drink of the fruit of the vine. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, with you on the earth, with... Uh, Moroni and Elias and John and and uh, um, he goes on and and uh, Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and Adam and Peter James and John. So he's Jesus is like saying, "Hey, you know, uh, e- even if you think it's water, okay, even if you think water's okay, yeah, which is which is uh, I would say a, an interpretation. I don't think it's a good interpretation, but it's an interpretation. Even if that's your interpretation, Jesus is saying." Go ahead and do what you want. Just letting you know, when uh, when me and my buddies come for the party at the end of the world, we're going to be drinking wine. Right. And so, uh, and you know what else he says? He says, um, he says, uh, um, he says, and all those whom my Father hath given me out of the world, hmm. we're going to all be drinking wine. So you can do what you want, but if you want to be in that party, just letting you know. We're going to be drinking. I'm just saying, it's a hell of a time to be trying to find your limits on what you can drink. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, you know, uh, when we, uh, when my family kind of first started doing it, actually, it's kind of funny. Um, uh, the the very first time that I made wine, it was for it was for Passover. Okay. So growing up, you know, we we done the Passover, but uh, you know, but we were Latter Day Saints, and so you know, we'd all just have grape juice. You know that we we you know steam juiced our own uh, sure grapes and, and you know that's all good but um you know i was reading more and, and my my father passed away and kind of i'm in charge of passover and so i decide you know with much study and trepidation like i said we're going to try making a batch of wine and we're going to have wine with the passover but i have no idea what wine is supposed to taste like oh, okay hold on first how'd your mom take that uh well my mom had passed away oh okay so so no so so it was uh uh, me and my siblings. Okay. And actually, um, we just had wine at my table and, you know, my siblings had, uh, juice. I got they, you. and they didn't know the difference. I got you. Um, <clears throat> so she didn't, she didn't know anything about it. Well, I guess she knew. She had she full knows. knowledge. She knows. <laughs> she was, I should have just answered you. She was proud. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> she was proud that her boy was doing the right thing. So, um, anyway, I had no idea what, cause I'd never touched uh, a drop of wine in my life. So I actually went to the, uh, the liquor store, right. And, and just kind of bewildered, look at all the selection and just picked out something that was kind of mid range in price. Right. She seems like a safe bet. And, uh, yeah, we tasted. So then when our first batch was done, like fermenting, it was done bubbling. It was seemed like it was ready to drink. Then, uh, we, we tried some of the store-bought stuff first and it was horrendous. Yeah. It was, like, uh, it was like nail polish remover or something like boat cleaner. <laughs> and, um, 
Man, uh, I immediately appreciated wine of your own make because it was actually quite a bit better. Yeah, yeah. And this is where I feel like a public (laughs) service announcement is needed. If you're going to try buying old wine, stay away from wine that comes in boxes. Not a good look. (sighs) So it was in a bottle. It was in a bottle. I, I know, I know. I'm just yeah, but okay. That's another little service announcement. Yeah. yeah, very good. Okay, man. So yeah, no, there there is such thing as bad stuff. I mean, oh, so uh, okay. So um, you know, and I, I will say too, just just kind of going back to if someone doesn't feel like they have the equipment or whatever, I actually have a book. Okay, and I'm kind of flipping through it right now as we're talking. Um, it is called Wine of Your Own Make. By Joshua Erickson, it's a uh, it's spiral bound. Um, I used to have it uh, like bound the regular way, you know, with glue or whatever. Um, but people like the spiral bound better because, in addition to like scriptures and history, right, like uh, justifications for and arguments in favor of this is also a recipe book. Gotcha. So this has recipes for both bread and wine. Okay. And so you can so it's a recipe book so we can lay out flat on the kitchen counter or whatever. Nice. So this book is uh how do they get a hold of you if they want to buy a copy? Yeah, you know um uh probably the best thing is to shoot me an email. Okay. So and the best email would probably be uh restoration torah conference at gmail.com. I'll throw that in the show notes. Okay. All one word. And uh, I don't check it that every day. But now, if you're down uh, kind of southern Utah County, uh, Confetti Books has some. And also down in Santa Quinn, uh, Kevin Kraut at uh, Old Pioneer Press at his print shop. They've got some copies down there too. Right on. Actually, Kevin uh, printed it uh, for me. So, okay. All right. Now, so there there is a... Uh, there is a debate in the Christian world and certainly in the Mormon world too about um, about whether new wine is alcoholic or about whether like Jesus at the Last Supper, like I've heard that you know it, it, the, the New Testament says wine, but of course Jesus wouldn't do that because Jesus obeys the word of wisdom. And so... Hang tight. Didn't in, in the account, and, and I could be wrong. I'm just, I'm not a scriptorian. I don't play one. Yeah. Um, didn't it say... Didn't he tell his disciples to go purchase wine? No. Right before the Passover? Oh, you know what? Yeah, he said go purchase things needful for the feast. Yeah. Okay. Yep, that's right. But that was, uh, and that's totally fine. I What I guarantee you is that they were not purchasing Roman wine. Gotcha. Okay. They were purchasing is- Israelite wine. Okay. And you know, actually I'm going to, that was a beautiful little aside there. Because oftentimes in Word of Wisdom lessons, uh, you probably heard this, like the story of Daniel. Right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That gets brought up all the time because they refused um, Nebuchadnezzar's wine and, and meat. meat. Right? And so we're like, oh, look at this perfect word of wisdom example. And then, and Daniel was keeping the word of wisdom. But it he, it wasn't because um, it wasn't because uh, he was avoiding alcohol. Jews, I'm sorry, like Jews do not have a problem with wine no okay daniel did not have a problem with wine that is just uh i don't know what there's words for that we're just reading into that from our own culture or something some weird interpretation but daniel was uh perfectly in keeping with the word of wisdom like especially i guess doctrine covenants 27 
um, that you shouldn't be having wine from your enemies. It should be of your own make or made among you. Okay. okay. So he was keeping it, but not for the reason that most people suppose. And and same with the meat too. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a word of wisdom thing, uh, but this is other commandments from the Torah that you're not in in a lot of these pagan countries. Like every every bit of meat um, is offered to Baal right. first. Like when the, yep, like the priests are the butchers. And they say a prayer to Baal before they slit the animal's throat. And then, you know, then the meat goes on the market, but it's been consecrated to Baal or Molech or uh, one of the other whoever. Yeah, yeah. Demonic so, host of hell. That's exactly right. So um, so Daniel was, was, was not concerned with the things that we think he was concerned with. Um, okay. Didn't they also eat a lot more pork? In, in Babylon in oh, those absolutely. areas. Yeah. yeah. And those, yeah, pork and shellfish and who knows what other kinds of, quote, meat uh, was being eaten, horses and camels. And, right. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> I'm no historian of that. But, yes, certainly uh, unclean animals were part of that meat. So, okay. So, um, so yeah, so I've, I've heard people say even, like, uh, probably the like the Last Supper was just grape juice or... Grape syrup or something like that. Um, but you know what? Um, that was uh, in a time uh, on this planet when there was no such thing as pasteurization nor refrigeration. Right. Okay. And the Passover is in springtime. Yep. And the grape harvest is in? Fall. The fall time. The grape harvest is basically six months from... There's no way that stuff is staying. That is not that is not unfermented juice that they're having right. at the Last Supper. That was 100% alcoholic wine. Yeah, there's, and there's no problem with that. There's nothing to be nothing that Jesus needs to be ashamed of. You know. Right. Okay. <clears throat> now, if we if we weren't sure, then um, so in 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 section 27, right? Jesus says he's going to be drinking of the fruit of the vine with all his besties. And uh, if you want to be there, you're going to be drinking of it too. Oh, so go back to my story about buying the, the store-bought wine. So sometimes we we joke that uh, it, it it would be good if you would try some wine for the sacrament now. So you can kind of get used to it. Because the last thing you want to do when, like, there's the wedding feast and Jesus hands you the cup, you don't want to make a face. No. You know, you, you, know, you don't want to do that. It's just be embarrassing. So, Okay. So, but some people might still say, you know, well, yeah, when it says fruit of the vine in section 27, is still Jesus is going to be partaking of grape juice. Okay, but we go to the Doctrine and Covenants section 58, and it says, talking about the uh, the marriage of the lamb, the big the big feast at the end, says uh, also uh, that a feast of fat things, this is Doctrine and Covenants 58, verse 8, a feast of fat things might be prepared for the poor, yea, a feast of fat things, of wine on the lees, well refined. So what is wine on the lees? You know, what are lees? Um, so uh, again, this is a word that Latter-day Saints are not generally familiar with. I'll tell you what lees are, though. Lees is the sediment that is left over after grape juice has fermented into mm. wine. Lees is mostly made of dead yeast cells that kind of settle to the bottom. Okay. So... The kind of wine that Jesus is going to be having 
is going to be wine on the lees. In other words, it's fermented. Okay. Right. Because for because that's the only kind of wine that has lees. Right. Is after the fermentation is complete. Okay. Okay. So there you go. Lees. That word lees definitely uh, wasn't Welch's. Not Welch's. That's right. <clears throat> There's another interesting one. I'm going to have you read this. Okay. okay. Isaiah. Isaiah 65. Um. Verse eight. It's like I've had people point this out to me before, and it's you know, it's I have an argument. I have an argument uh, for it. So okay. Just one second. Yeah, no here. problem. Isaiah sixty-five. What? Verse eight. Now this this verse is not talking about you know using wine for the sacrament or anything like that. Okay. But it has you know an interesting footnote. So go ahead and read the verse. Okay. And thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it, for a blessing it is, is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake, that I will may, that I may not destroy them all. Hmm. Okay, so it says right there, the new wine is in the cluster. Right. Right? And so, what do you look at? Uh, you look at the footnote. Oh, for new wine? Yeah. 8A, grape juice. New wine is... Ta-da! Grape juice. And how do we know that? Because it says the new wine is in the cluster. Of course, grapes aren't alcoholic. Right. Okay. Ah. But a cluster of grapes has actually more than just... There's juice inside the grapes. Right. But it's more than just juice. So you've you've held handled grapes before. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, on the outside of the grapes, there's kind of a white yeah. film. Yep. Kind of a powdery film. Uh, that's called bloom. And that is a layer, uh, and all the grapes in the world have this. This is a naturally, right. occur- naturally occurring layer of yeast. Really? So when you say the new wine is in the cluster, yeah, that's because as soon as you crush those grapes, boom, then the juice touches, the, touches the, yeast. the yeast and fermentation begins. Holy cow. And it is, so the new wine is right there. It's like grapes are... Made to be wine. It's like a little wine making kit that God made for us. Now, um, if now if anyone's listening and you want to try making uh, wine and you go to the store and get grape juice, which is totally fine. I've made wine that way a bunch of times and you, uh, you pour it out like you're going to have to add yeast to that because the, the, the juice at the store has been pasteurized. Right. So they've killed the natural, naturally occurring yeast there. But if you just take uh, grapes and stomp on them or whatever right uh or put them in a wine press then the yeast is right there and you don't need to add anything it will just turn into wine automatically wow yeah so um okay let's talk about holiness now okay okay so back in uh, section 27 verse 2 says, um, Behold, it mattereth not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink when ye partake of the sacrament, if it so be that ye do it with an eye single to my glory, remembering unto the Father my body which was laid down for you and my blood which was shed for the remission of your sins. Verse 3, Wherefore, a commandment I give unto you, that you shall not purchase wine, neither strong drink of your enemies. Verse 4, Wherefore, you shall partake of none of it 
except it is made new among you, yea, in this my Father's kingdom, which shall be built up upon uh, the earth. So, oh, you were, were you going to say something? Yeah, so I have a question about <clears throat> who would be classified as our enemies. Is that anybody not Mormon? Well, I, that might depend on who you ask. I, as you know, am a very right. big tent Mormon. Right. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'd be happy with, I'd be happy with any Israelite. Okay. Okay. So, um, I'd be happy with, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, any, any, uh, Mormon of any stripe or, or, uh, any Jewish, uh, okay. winery or whatever. Like I would be fine with that too, actually. Okay. Um, okay. Now, verse three mentions enemies okay and you just ask a question about that and usually we think uh like what what do we what do we think why does it say not to purchase it because of your enemies What's well the... first off i would I, there, there's a couple reasons that spring to my mind first is it's like buying oil from saudi arabia <laughs> it's the it's like getting the belt for your old man before he whoops you with it it's yeah. kind of a a, a a silly exercise to give them the club that they're about to beat you with. Second, they might have some special Mormon wine, right? And oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 I got some for you. You're going to love this one. Yeah. yeah. And and maybe maybe less than sanitary conditions. Right. So I think that those are certainly uh, valid reasons, like the, the fear of poison, like mm-hmm. actually someone doing you harm. I love that you brought up the, the financial thing too because I think that's actually – I think that the first answer you gave is actually closer in my mind to the the primary reason um, is we don't want to be dependent upon our enemies for the practice of our religion. Right. Okay. Um, uh, You know, I work for the, for the army Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, you know, this just, in my opinion, not speaking for the U.S. government or anything, but uh, uh, for a long time, and I think still, like the the TNT that the military uses to fill our munitions, right, is all it's all made in China. We get our the raw materials to make ammunition from China instead of making it ourselves because it's you know because it's, it's cheaper or whatever. And I'm like, it's oh, not really a good. Trade off. I would pay. I would pay a little more to be self sufficient yeah. in our defense. Yep, absolutely. So we use a lot of TNT. But uh, anyway, so so I love that. Uh, I think that's. Uh, I think that's a big part of it. <clears throat> it is important to like. I've talked to people who uh, believe that the poison idea is so ingrained that I've talked to people who even say that poison is mentioned in. Section 27 as the reason, uh, which is not. And people have been surprised, like a Mandela effect. Like, I swear it said something about poison, right. which it, it does not. Um, now, Section 89 also says conspiring men and stuff, right? Right. But here's an interesting thing is, like, if if Section 89 says conspiring men and, you know, Section 27 says don't purchase of your enemies, why is it, why is it only the wine? Like, but it doesn't say anything about the rest of your food, your bread or your your wheat. Sure. Or, yeah. 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 You can poison yeah. fruits and vegetables and meat and grain and beer. Right. Just as well as you can poison wine. 
Right. So, um, so why is it that uh, that we're not concerned with purchasing those things from enemies or Gentiles or outsiders or whatever? But we are. But wine is some something special, and I, my contention is that it's something special because it is related to our religious observance, and okay. and we do not want to be reliant upon Babylon for the practice of our religion. Right. Okay. We want um, the kingdom needs to be independent. Right. Okay. Of all other powers under I, heaven. I don't know what your problem is. I'm sure the UN would do a fine job. It's <laughs> uh, <coughs> <laughs> a great way to give people vaccines or something. Yeah, Maybe, yeah. They do a great Just job. Put it I'm in sure the it's fine. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, it is interesting that um, verse 2, it says, yeah, it doesn't matter what you eat or drink, but it says to... Do it with an eye single to my glory, remembering my body and my blood shed for the remission of your sins. And then in verse 3 and 4, it has this uh, one. Verse 3 says not to purchase it from enemies. And number 4 says uh, make it new. Uh, But both of those are uh, prefaced, 3 and 4, by the word wherefore. So what does wherefore mean? It's a word we maybe don't use that often anymore. But wherefore just means therefore, which means because of this right right? so now if if poison is the concern then um then what those verses are essentially saying and i'm kind of paraphrasing here but it'll say uh verse two says do the sacrament with an eye single to my glory remembering my body which was laid down my blood which was shed for your sins you know make this a holy sacred experience because of this Wherefore, watch out for poison. Okay. It's like this are kind of incongruent ideas, right? Make this a holy experience. Therefore, because of that, because I want you to do that, watch out for poison. Right? So let let me push here a little bit because I'm curious how far we we take this. We don't have the same prohibition on olive oil. And that's used heavily in our sacraments. Even in the temple, correct? Mm, mm, mm-hmm. There's there seems to be no prohibition against buying olive oil at the store that's extra virgin and right. consecrating that. Yeah, that's why a, wouldn't the same. Be, that's a good. Why why wouldn't the same be true of wine? Yeah, if you consecrated it first. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I would. Uh, although you are correct, sir. Uh, that there is there is no specific injunction to make your own olive oil. Uh, I do believe that that is the intention of the scriptures. Okay, and certainly this was the, uh, certainly this was explicit for ancient Israel. Okay, and all the scriptures that apply to ancient Israel. Uh, so I, so when I say it doesn't say it in modern revelation in the doctrine and covenants or whatever. It does say it in the Torah. Right. It says uh, to the Israelites, bring your oil and your wine, right, from your harvest for these okay. sacraments, for these ordinances. Um, so, uh, and you know, you couple that with also uh, what I believe is the desire, the Lord's desire for the saints to be independent Right. In all things. Um, yes, the Doctrine and Covenants may not have a specific 
revelation, even about even about simple things, you know, about right. uh, making bricks or you right, know, or right. having a, a sawmill or whatever. And yet, um, I still believe that it is the Lord's intention for the saints to have all of those things, right, and to be fully independent in all of our manufacturing. That was Brigham's idea. That was Joseph's idea, right? Is, yes. You we know, are going to build, not we're just going to set up a church. We're going to build a city, and then we're going to build a nation, and we're going to reestablish Israel. Right. Yeah. So so that's kind of a, that was an excellent uh, question, but I think I think the scriptures would support even having, now, um, if you if you don't have your own olive press, what do you do? If you don't have your own vineyards, what do you do? If you if you don't have uh, you know these things, well, I mean, you do the best you can, right? Okay, and and I think that's what twenty seven was speaking to there, right? Is like here's the preferred method. Absent this, you can go yes. to that, right? And I think uh, um, yes. So actually, I, I'll say. Um, um, you know, so, so Brigham, just to bring him up, mm-hmm. um, that was the whole point of St. George in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So down, uh, St. George and, uh, Tokerville, um, yeah, they had the Dixie wine mission. Yep. yep. Yeah. And actually when the, when the saints first arrived, they actually found, uh, grapevines growing down there, native, mm-hmm. native plants. And they're like, oh, this is good country for growing grapes. And so, uh, yeah, Brigham sent, sent missions down right. there to cultivate grapes and supply wine for the territory. Now that was never, uh, that was actually never quite fully, um, uh, achieved, I guess. Um, but they, but that was the, that was the goal. Actually. So journal discourses, 19, uh, Brigham versa or page 92, uh, Brigham's talking about this. He says, consequently, we use water as though it were wine. For we are commanded to drink not of wine for the sacred purpose, except it be made by our own hands. So now even though Brigham said that, uh, he was not content to just keep on using water right. forever. Like, I mean, we've heard... I kind of liken this to uh, you, and you've probably heard stories of soldiers in foxholes or whatever. Sure, having the sacrament with water from their canteen and potato peels or something like that. I think I, I don't have any judgment for that. No, you know, uh, I would think the Lord would rather you do that than go without. Yeah, but um, but when we get to a place right where we can have bread. Then and we persist in eating potato peels, right? Then I think that would be that becomes displeasing. Yes. And when we get to a point where we could have wine, but we persist in drinking Gatorade or having water or anything right. else, then I think it becomes displeasing. Yeah. yeah. So, um, So, um, okay. So now there's only, so, you know, we want to please the Lord. 
We want blessings. Uh, there's commandments uh, behind this. And there's also there's also symbolism right. um, behind this. So these are all reasons to, to actually obey the word of wisdom. Right. Yep. And by obeying the word of wisdom, I mean having wine for our sacraments. Um, okay. So, um, uh, and of course, I mean, you can probably, you can probably think of some, like what, what is some symbolism in, of grapes and with wine, with wine. Well, let's just go to the sacrament, right? Yeah, let's hear so that's the ones, Give as, me some ideas. as you know, Mormons of most stripes are going to use. It's blood, right? I mean, you look at it. That's right. It's a it, symbolic equivalent it, in the scripture. A symbolic equivalent. Um, it's, you know, it, and certainly I, I'm kind of a big believer that if you use wine for the sacrament, it probably shouldn't be, shouldn't be the, the sweetest wine out there either, right? Mm. I think there's something to be said for the bitter the cup. The bitter cup. And so I think, I think that, that this is my own opinion and mine alone. I don't want anyone to think I'm I'm preaching gospel here, but I'm thinking for those kind of things, right? I think I think you'd want a little bit of a bitter cup. Interesting. Um, I would also say for things like weddings and those sorts of things, probably something a little bit sweeter, Ooh. something that 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 goes pair up the occasion, mm-hmm. right? I like it. I have a, a friend, uh, Richard uh, Jepson. Anyway, um, he uh, he says he 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 thinks that exact same thing for the sacrament. He says this uh, that like the cup itself is symbolic of the of Jesus's suffering because at first it's bitter, but then afterwards there comes joy. Right. Right. And that's kind of the order that things happened with the atonement: bitter at first, but then once it's finished. Then it's time to celebrate, right? Well, and 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 let's say this too, right? I think there's symbolism also that that with with the sacrament, maybe something that causes a little bit of burning in the bosom. Oh yeah, that's right. To have the spirit be more abundantly with you. Yeah. How is the spirit often described? I I think I think there's symbolism here. Oh, it's beautiful and it's rich and deep, right? right? And until we we stop to think for a minute and say. Are we missing out by just using water? Yeah, we need to. We need to really take a good hard look, and and take a step back. So sometimes, sometimes alcohol, usually um, distilled things, are called spirits. Yep. Right, and so, so that uh, the wine has spirit in it. Yeah, and you can feel that burn. Right. Right. And so that's, that is a part of the symbolism. Now, alcohol's got a different burn, right? I would say that's more of a, could be more of a, a fire, right? <laughs> a, a, a oh, uh, yeah. Fire. If you're, if you're having a distilled, yeah. Right. Yes, 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 yes. With, with wine, it's very, it's a Correct. very subtle. It's warm. Warmth. That's right. right. Yep. Yeah. But it's part of the symbolism. It is. Yeah. Yep. And we call it spirit. Yep. So uh, that's cool. You know another uh, another bit of symbolism uh, that I love is that uh, that wine is a symbol of. Of course, it's of course it's the it's connected to the atonement, but it's I think specifically and beautifully uh, a symbol of death and resurrection. Right. Okay, so the difference between mortal and immortal bodies. Well, the difference is is that you're not 
as far as, as far as physiological differences. Right, physiological differences. Um, well, we could go back to some things that I... I More we, specific, what's in the, veins. in the veins. Spirit at that point. Oh. Right. Ah, uh, yeah. So it starts out... Uh, so blood becomes spirit. spirit. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, when blood is in the veins, in the vessels, then uh, then the the flesh, the body is corruptible. Right. And um, so uh, when you make wine, first you crush the grapes. Right. The blood, quote, blood of the grapes comes out. And then there's a transformation that takes place. And the blood turns into spirit. spirit and then it becomes incorruptible. Right. You know, because there's this thing that ferments, which, I mean, ferment is kind of a uh, polite way of saying rot. Right. Uh, <laughs> fermentation is the kind of rot that we don't mind eating or drinking, I guess. Right. Right. But uh, but that really what is what it is, microbial action. Yep. Right. So, uh, but then it turns into something that actually gets better with age. Right. Right. Which is something that improves and, and maintains and doesn't uh, and doesn't spoil anymore. Right. Which is what wine right. is versus Absolutely. grape juice, you see. Yeah. Well and, and, and here's here's the other thing I'll say, right? Um there was a quote and I can't remember who said it, but I wanna say it was one of the later leaders of the LDS church. And I'm sure allusions to this were made by both Joseph and Brigham, those early brethren. That Levitical order, the, the the Aaronic priesthood, I should say, that administers the sacrament, I remember someone said, you have to picture yourself as offering, not offering, but offering up the sacrifice, right? Yeah. The tearing of flesh, the bread, right? The 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 bleeding of the of the gray. Heavy stuff. Right? It's heavy, heavy stuff. I think it's also symbolic of that broken heart, right? That tearing, that oh yes, that breaking apart, uh, right? And out of that, and and there are certain symbols that are to be used that I think are best for that, right? Um, and and wine is certainly among them. Absolutely, I actually love uh, what you just said. I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit, but. In ancient times, uh, when, you know, in Hebrew, when, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, when someone, quote, makes a covenant. They cut a covenant. That's right. It's yep. karat. Now, if you're familiar with the old school garment. Yeah, amen. Right. There is some rich symbolism there that's not necessarily there in the, in the, the street Modern. garment, if you right. will. Right. Yes, that's exactly right. So that uh, actually, uh, it, it's it's interesting because when um, when like when people would make a covenant, very often what they would do, they, they would yeah they would cut the covenant and like we get, you know that's a, a Hebrew idiom mm-hmm. gets translated as make a covenant, but in English we have similar idioms. Cut a deal. We say we cut a deal or we strike a bargain. Right, right, and this comes from this the Hebrew idea of of covenants, and yeah, they would they would kill an animal, and when they would make an agreement, and they actually cut the animal into two pieces and and walk between them. Yep, and uh, and the agreement was, if if we keep our end of the bargain, 
then the animal dies. Right. But if we break it, then we will die. Right. Then whatever was done to the animal, may it be done right to us. Right. Um, and so, uh, there's a beautiful thing about that. Like, and, and the Bible actually has examples of this. Like when, uh, when God, when, uh, Jehovah makes the covenant with Abraham, right? He actually cuts the animal in pieces. Right. And Jehovah actually Walks goes through. in between. Yep. It says, um, in Hebrews, um, the New Testament says, God swore by his own life. Yep. That he would make Abram a great nation, basically. Okay. And in Jeremiah, there's another example of this. In the Book of Mormon, we have, um, Captain Moroni. Right. Raising the title literally and uh, all the men come running and they tear their garments. tear their garments and throw them at his feet and basically say, we will keep the commandments and defend liberty. Otherwise, may uh, those garments be symbolic, symbolic of us. Like yep. Being absolutely. Torn, right? So, yeah. So when you tear the bread, if you're faithful, then that's Jesus's flesh. Yep. And if you're not, then what you're doing is saying, may this be my flesh. Yep. And that's what it means by e- eateth and drinketh damnation to your soul. Yeah. And my blood. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, which unlocks a whole new meaning to um, wine of your own mate. Because wine is blood. Right. So... Um, uh, if you, uh, yeah, again, you partake of the sacrament, you do it honorably, you're upholding your end of the bargain, you're not doing it frivolously. I'm, I don't mean you're perfect, okay? That's, right. not, that's not what the covenant requires. No. But, uh, but you take it uh, honorably, let's say, um, that, that's Jesus's blood. If you don't, that's your own blood. And who made your own blood? Jesus. Uh, well, 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 God. You. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is wine of your own make. make. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I see. That's yep. wine in your own. That's you in your own vein. Your very own. Your very own flesh and blood is what gotcha. is what is on the line. So the word of wisdom is actually there's you know that phrase of your own make is carries some some significance some weight. Yes. So. Um. You know, this goes this goes back to um, I mean I mean Doctrine and Covenants nineteen, here's another good example of that, right? If they would not repent, they must suffer, even as I, right? Right. It's gonna be you. Isaiah forty nine, I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with sweet wine, and all flesh shall know that I the Lord am thy Saviour and Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. So you know, even uh, of course the uh, the sacrament has echoes of the uh, the Passover, sure too, uh, and the word of wisdom at the at the very end has the Passover promise, mm-hmm. right? Destroying angel passed by, right? And uh, you know the the children of Israel, how did they how did they protect their houses? They got a lamb. Whose lamb was it? It's their lamb. their own lamb. Yep, and uh, they would get the blood of the lamb. How would they get it? themselves right that was their own that was their own blood that was blood of blood of their own make yeah that they put on the door okay so so there's a lot of that uh 
right. kind of symbolism there. So, Whew. heavy stuff. That's heavy stuff. So, um, that's. I think we. We've, that's probably maybe a good, a good spot place to stop. I yeah. guess I don't know if you got more no, questions or no. I don't think so. I think we we covered it pretty well. And as was with most things, as as time goes along, it seems to get diluted right and so i always look back and i say why aren't we doing the things that they did in the early days and a lot of people like to just say well it, it different times right i mean we you didn't have you know i've heard all sorts of excuses right like well the water was dirtier back then you didn't want to use that and and just all sorts of excuses that ring hollow certainly i've used wine in the sacraments we've done at home. Mm-hmm. And there is a different feel. Yeah. There is a Amen. different a different level of sanctity mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of that. And it's not like we're drinking a lot, right? We're still no. using the sacrament cups, right? right. Essentially. Um, but it is different. It is different. That it's his own blood becomes a little more literal in some ways, right? Because of just its appearance. Yeah. And and the bitter cup. I think it's worth pursuing. It's worth looking at. Um Hey man. I'm now I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna uh throw your listeners a bone here because some people may still, despite everything I've said, everything we've said, still be just uncomfortable with proper wine. Right. Okay. Uh use juice. Yeah. It's better than water. And you know what? I will even <laughs> I will even grant you uh, a loophole exemption because it is true that grape juice is pasteurized. But it is also true that yeast spores are in the air. And right. so as soon as you pour the wine out of that hermetically sealed bottle, you know, that Welch's grape juice or whatever right. it is, Winco or Walmart, uh, as soon as you pour it out, uh, there's actually yeast spores in the air that are going to land in there. Yeah. And, you know, the definition I gave earlier of new wine was from the moment the juice touches the yeast yep. until a year. So, so I would, I would grant, yeah, uh, juice even from a bottle. If you opened up the bottle yourself and poured it out yeah. and then it touched the air, there you go. New wine. Yep. And, the and, newest possible wine. And, and here's the other thing I'd say. Because I, I, I have heard this before, and it was something, quite frankly, I was scared of as a guy who used to have and a horrible drinking problem. You're a little hesitant, right? You're a little sure. twitchy, right? I'll say this. It's pretty hard to turn back into a raging alcoholic from a sacrament cup full of wine. It's a different animal. Mm-hmm. Um not to say there's not such thing as winos, because there are, but <laughs> right. it's it's pretty. It, it, it chances are, if if you're practicing a sacrament, you've probably worked your way beyond that a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So. That's good. You know, the other thing I'll say too. You mentioned uh, like uh, space constraints or equipment or whatever in in this book. Um, uh, I actually, you know, the recipes that I have. Uh, I recommend actually that the people's first um, experience making wine is in a two liter bottle. 
Right. So you get a two liter bottle with juice and uh, some yeast, just bread yeast is fine. And, uh, and a balloon stretched over the top to keep the air out um, with a hole, with a pinhole in it. That's, that's all the space and the equipment that you need basically. Um, so it's not, it's not hard. If you get, if you get online and, uh, try to read about making wine, it's going to be overwhelming and it's going right. to be technical and there's going to be all these terms that you never heard of and it's going to be intimidating. Those aren't made for the religious user. Those are made no, for, those are wine snobs. Yep. <laughs> We're talking about, uh. Uh, you, you need, you only need, like people do this in prison. Okay. So it's real easy. Don't do it in your toilet. <laughs> um, uh, it's real easy. It's nothing to be intimidated over. Um, I think a lot of that stuff is uh, like just snobbery for the purpose sure of snobbery is. for the purpose of luxury. You sure know? it is. Yep. You know, and that, I mean, that's okay too, but, uh, but it doesn't need to be intimidating or, or difficult. It's quite easy. And um, so, that's what I got to say. You know, awesome. Uh, re- repent if you're, uh, you know, if you're uh, using water. If you've been using water, and uh, means are available to have wine of your own make, then you should be doing that. It is, uh, it is what the Savior com- directly commanded. Yep, directly commanded. Um, and I think there's there's not really an excuse. So if you're if you're in a you know a group or a church that doesn't allow it, then then do it at home, right. you know, because uh, you know you don't want to uh, following the prophet or your leader or whatever is great, uh, but you don't want to, but you you are responsible for your own soul as well, right? Work out your own salvation before the Lord with fear and trembling. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Um, Right, Joseph kind of famously said, um, let's see, well, I don't know if it's in the book, I think, here, but you know, kind of famously said that, um, you know, the saints were kind of, uh, their minds were darkened, right? Because they were just, uh, following their, their leaders, even in error. I think it was he was referencing Moses when the people would refuse to follow Moses up the mountain. Yes, yes, yeah. He read uh, from Ezekiel. Anyway, can't find it right now, but uh, I think you're familiar with the, the quote. But I, you know, I think that's the last thing that any uh, any the leader of any church would actually want. No one would actually say, "Yeah, follow me, even in error." No one wants that, right? Um, and everyone makes errors. You know, I'm not. Um, you know, disparaging that. Uh, but when, uh, when you have received greater light and understanding, then, then don't refuse that. Be cautious. Um, but be bold. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's, and, and like you said, I mean, like, like we talked about, there's rich symbolism there to be had. And look, if you're a POW, I, we, the Lord gets it, right? Take the sacrament with what you got. But if you have the means, you have the ability, um, there's, there's what the Lord will accept. And then there's the preferred method. I have heard. Okay. And maybe, you know, something about that. I've heard that, uh, baptism by sprinkling was first out of like expedience because I think it was Constantine. Yep. Uh, 
he's on his deathbed and they can't really go dunk him. So he gets sprinkled just out of a, because of the situation. Yep. And then that becomes the norm. That becomes the standard. And you yep. think, is God happy with baptism by sprinkling just because it... He tells you he is not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When uh, uh, when there's water available, you you better not be doing something contrary to what was commanded. Okay? Absolutely. Yeah. If you're out in the... If you're in the middle of the Sahara Desert and, you know, you're a fellow... Uh, you got someone else stranded there with you and they've never been baptized, you know, maybe, maybe sprinkling's appropriate then. I don't know. But... Uh, but I would say that when you get back to civilization, you better dunk them. Do it properly. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Good stuff. Well, dude, that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. All right. Bye, everybody. Yes. Yeah.